Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. Now, you may be saying, now, why would Pastor Joel show Steve Harvey in the middle of a worship service? Well, you need to get off your spiritual high horse and just know that sometimes your preacher needs to be encouraged. And man, today, and I applaud the worship team and Joe for pushing through that, man. It is awful when you have electronic issues, and we just do, and they're going to go away when the Lord gives us an answer to that. And, uh, and sometimes you just need to be encouraged, need to laugh a little bit. And you may not agree with everything Steve Harvey's ever said, but he said a whole lot of truth right there. And sometimes you and I forget or need to be reminded of the greatness of who Jesus is. Because we live in a world who wants to play Jesus down. We live in a world that wants to, uh, wants to feminize Jesus. We live in a world that wants to soften Jesus. We live in a world that wants to uh, make Jesus this passive individual, and he is not that. He is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And you and I, your pastor, sometimes just need a fresh awareness of the greatness of who Jesus is. I've shared before in my testimony, I spent a season where Jesus was not who Jesus was supposed to be in my life. I spent a season where I was a little bashful about sharing the name of Jesus. I was a little bashful about throwing his name out in appropriate ways at appropriate times and sharing the good news of the gospel. Those days are gone. And I hope I never step back into that arena of, of ashamedness of Jesus Christ. And if you're there today, if you haven't shared Jesus with anybody in a season, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you. I want to remind you that Jesus is bigger than you know. And we're going to see a picture of that today. And I am a little bit uh, set back. I'm a little bit um, overwhelmed that I get to preach the good gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get to a passage like this, it reminds me of, of how pitiful I am to get to share someone as great as Jesus is. Now, last week, we left chapter 4, and the title was Sunday After Church. And in chapter 4, it's the transition chapter into the final section of the Revelation. And it is the things which must take place after these things, the meta tauta. It is the things that take place after the church age. You and I were in the church age, but there is a day coming when the church age is no more. And this world will be a churchless world. And when it's, when the world is churchless, it is Christianless. And when it is Christianless, the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer is no longer here as it is now in the church. And so it is a, it is a devil's world at that point. Uh, and he thinks he has it under control, but we're beginning to see 
that the devil in the end will lose. And I want to see at the hands today, I want to show you at the hands of who the devil will ultimately lose. Last week, John was invited. It is the harpazo, the catching away. We call it the rapture. We talked about the fact that the rapture, the word, is not in the Bible. I told you the word Bible is not in the Bible. Trinity is not in the Bible, but they're real. And the harpazo, the catching away, is real. It, it, it appears about 18 times in Scripture. And it is always this gathering, this snatching, this pulling, this drawing away. And so there's a day coming when Jesus will catch away harpazo, the believers, those redeemed. Those that are dead, will be re, their bodies will be reunited with their spirit. Those of us that remain and are alive will be glorified instantaneously, and our bodies will join Jesus and other saints headed back to heaven. Now, I'm telling you, that's good stuff. Now, the picture of that is found in chapter 4, verse, uh, in chapter four last week, where, where the, there, John sees a door open into heaven, and Jesus says, John, come on up. I want to show you the things, the metatata, the things which must have, take place after the church. John goes up, and he's overwhelmed. He sees this throne, and, and there's one seated on it, and, and it's like diamonds. It's the purity and the brilliance of diamonds. And then he sees a red stone that looks like a ruby, reminding him of the crimson redemption of the cross. And, and then he sees this, uh, this, this uh, rainbow that encircles the throne, pointing to this eternal life found in God through Jesus, his son. And he's just set back. He's, he's amazed. And so we finished up last week looking at heaven like no one has ever seen it. Now I want you to join me as we look into chapter five today because he's going to see some more of heaven. And the title of the message is Jesus Christ. There is no substitute. I want you to know before we begin, you can be replaced. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and say, you are replaceable. Okay, I hope you didn't mean, I, I hope you didn't mean that sincerely to your spouse. <laughs> you know, you're replaceable. I can get rid of you. Find me another one. Okay, what I'm talking about, we're all replaceable. Okay, if the Lord calls me home and I die, if I have a stroke and can't preach anymore, if the Lord calls me to another church, I am totally replaceable. Okay, totally replaceable. We live in a world where we think we are unreplaceable. Like, like uh, nobody can do this job but me. That's a lie. Anybody can do your job. I, I get, I laugh sometimes at sports because we, we have children and at the age of five or six, we're put, putting them into sports, softball, baseball, basketball, football, all these sports. And man, you've been there. I've been to Awana. I've had conversations with, with men who have little boys playing Awana basketball where they don't even keep score. Okay. Where there's no winners and no losers. I'm a fan of winning and losing because we all going to lose sometimes. We might as well just go ahead and own it. Okay, I'm like one father. He said, I want my kid to lose. I want to know if he's going to be a loser. I want him to know early. That way he can try harder and do better on something else. Okay, but we live in this world. I, I hear these parents. I had, this is a guy from second had this conversation with me one day. And he goes, he says, I said, how's everything going? Well, it's going good now. I said, what? He said, we started a wanna when we started. My little girl, she didn't even know which end we're playing on. Now she steals the ball, man. He's going in. And, and, and he all but said, she's going D1. I'm like, she's six, okay? She's going in first grade. That's where she's going, okay? That's what we do. I want you to know they're replaceable. You've seen it. They get a kid in sports, man, and they do really good. And then they, they, because of all the wear and tear, they have stress fractures in their body. They break this. They break that. And you watch. A quarterback get, gets hurt. The running back gets hurt. The superstar basketball player gets hurt. They are replaceable. They'll have somebody 
If you don't, if you don't lock them up, they'll be, they'll be wearing your shoes, okay? You are replaceable, but there's one who is irreplaceable. There is one that there is no substitute for, okay? And we're going to see him today. Now, the first point of today's message is this, a seat, a scroll, and a seal. John has come up into heaven. He's in heaven now. He goes through the door. He sees the throne, and now he sees this. He says, then I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the front and back and sealed with seven seals. God the Father is on the throne, and in his right hand he holds a scroll. Now, this is a book. In ancient days, a scroll would be today's book. So what happens is you would write on it, and you would roll it up. You would write on it, you would roll it up. You would write on it, you would roll it up. If it was an official document that needed to be separated, kind of like chapters, you would write on it, roll it up, and seal it on the end or in the middle. You would seal it with clay or wax. And if it was an official document, the, the, the ruler, the king, the governor, or whoever would take his signet ring, and he would stamp his signature into that wax or into that clay. And then they would write another chapter, right, right, right? They would roll it up. They would seal it again. That's what he holds in his hands. Today, what happened is we moved from a scroll to a book. This is, was originally a scroll, and what we've done is we take the scroll and we cut it into individual sheets. We bind it with a binder. It's called the codex. And now we have a book. So he holds in his hand a book in the form of a scroll. And it's sealed up. Now, it, was a very, it would be very familiar to John in those days because it was an official document. A marriage certificate, a lease agreement, a sales contract, title deeds would all be in the form of a scroll sealed by an official. And so he's familiar with it, but he don't know what's, what's inside. And it must be something good because it's in the hand of God the Father seated on the throne. And so he's watching, he's looking, and he knows this must be something special. I don't think he knew, but now we know based on Scripture, he holds in his hand the title deed of the universe. The title deed. Now, in Jewish tradition, in Hebrew tradition, um, you could take a piece of property, you could take a possession of someone else, and you could act like it's your own, but the ownership of that possession never really uh, changed hands. True ownership never left from the original owner. And so God right now holds the title deed in his hand. Now, the devil acts like it's his, this is his domain, and God has given him authority on this earth for a season. But he did not come by it rightfully. He came by it wrongfully when he lied and deceived Eve. Ultimately, Adam filed suit. And so right now, the devil acts like this is his world, and God has given him freedom to have a level or degree of authority on this earth. But there's a day coming when God is going to claim it. He's going to say, hey, I've let you have this long enough, and I'm going to take it back. And the way I'm going to take it back is I'm going to cast judgment upon you so that you pay the penalty for all of these years that you had authority and you, had, and you administered a wrongful authority 
upon this earth. Ezekiel 2.9 describes a scroll, this same scroll. It's not a new thing. It says, and I looked, behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. And when he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and on the back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. So there's a seat, there's a scroll, and there's a seal. That's what he sees. Now, the second thing I want you to see that John saw when he went up to heaven, when he was harpazo, I want you to see that now there is a search made. Listen to what it says in verse 2. And it says, Now I saw a powerful angel. And the angel was proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So God's holding this scroll in his right hand, and this great angel proclaims throughout all the glories of creation, who is able to unroll this scroll and to allow us to see what God is going to do in reclaiming the title deed to its original condition? Who is worthy? And so the cry goes out even into the depths of of the underworld, into the depths of death itself. And then the cry goes out to all of heaven, to all of the angels. The cry goes out to all mankind. And they come back with this answer. No one was able to take the scroll out of the Father's hand. Now, I want you to understand the significance of this word. Tell your neighbor, no one. Tell your neighbor, no, not even one. The Greek word, the Greek expression is udehais, udehais. And it means not even one. It means emphatically, no one was even found close to being able to, uh, to be able to take this scroll from God the Father and his hand. It means when he searched the world over, nobody in the po- uh, political world, was worthy. Nobody in the religious world was worthy. Nobody in the arts were worthy. Nobody in the sciences or academia was found worthy. No philosopher was worthy. No psychologist was worthy. No military giant was worthy. None were able or worthy to take the scroll out of the Father's hands. Now, there have been people who were willing, but they weren't found worthy. I say, well, who was found willing that tried to take the world? Satan tried to take it. Nebuchadnezzar tried to take it. Alexander the Great tried to take it. Genghis Khan tried to take it. Napoleon tried to take it. Hitler tried to take it. Stalin tried to take it. And today the Muslim community tries to take it. Why? Because they're willing, but they they will never accomplish it because they're not worthy. You see, there's a lot of things, a lot of people who are willing to do things, but they're not worthy to do it. And this is one of those things. A lot of people are ready to jump up and do great things, but they're not worthy to do it. And so now we see that there's a search made, and it comes up with nobody who can take the scroll. 
Now, what is your response when you're in heaven and you see God the Father and all of his splendor and the 24 elders representing the redeemed and this, this emerald rainbow and, and you see the four living creatures and man, it's just, it's just something like you've never seen and you're overwhelmed. And now there's a scroll, which obviously has some significance. Now there's a search and there's nobody who can take it and nobody who can unfold what God is going to do. What is your response to that? I don't know. I don't know what my response is, but I want to show you what John's response, and it's appropriate. It says in verse 4, so I began weeping bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it, and I wept much. You see, he's thinking, who can save it all? Who can rescue and restore it all? Who can stomp out evil for good? Who can shut the mouth of the accuser forever? Who will show the devil that God is still on his throne and he will not be done? Who will show us that there's a heaven waiting for the saints Who will demonstrate that there's a real hell waiting for the sinner? Who will right all the wrongs? Who will redeem and restore all of creation? Who will provide the resurrection of the dead? Who will provide the judgment to the enemy? What about this millennial kingdom of perfection and splendor and bliss uh, on this earth? What about a new heaven and a new earth? Every hope that a believer would have is going to be left rolled up in this scroll And there ain't nobody there to open it. And so he wept bitterly. Now, this word wept bitterly means with anguish and absolute brokenness. Has anybody ever wept with anguish and absolute brokenness? Yeah. I I got a confession to make, and Kendra knows it's true. I'm not a crier, okay, a lot. And I went for years, and I didn't cry. I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't want to cry. It wasn't, I thought, wasn't that I thought crying's for sissies. I just, it just wasn't in me. I was raised with three brothers, and we just kind of beat each other up all the time, and we just didn't cry a lot, you know, because that meant they won. And so we didn't do that, you know. We might have wanted to. We just didn't, and I didn't cry for a long time. And, and then in the 80s, when God really had his hand on me again, and he was just inviting me to a new place, I remember driving from downtown Chattanooga out to where we lived, out past Hickson, and, and I was driving a, a Suzuki Samurai. <laughs> I'm going to date my, you, you don't even know what that is, okay? <laughs> I look like a clown at the circus getting in and out of that thing, okay? But it got about 40 miles a gallon. It was good. I'm in the Suzuki Samurai, top down, and I don't know, I was just driving. Hadn't cried in years. Don't, don't remember crying before that my whole life. And I'm driving down the road, and I just looked up, and the Lord, he was really on me during that season. And I looked up, and the sky was just royal blue. Man, it had those big, fat cotton ball clouds, you know, that look like animals when you're a kid. Man, they just flying around in the sky, and I was well, beautiful, you know. And I looked up, and the wind was blowing, and the trees were just doing this. And then the grass that, that they hadn't cut for hay yet, it was just doing this. It was blowing. And all of a sudden, I just, it just dawned on me how good God is. And I'm driving down the road, and I went from driving down the road, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Now I'm, I'm, I'm just bellering. I'm just, I don't know where it's coming from. The tears just rolling. I mean, and trust me when I say, if you hadn't cried in a long, long time, when the floodgates open, there is a tank holding your tears back. I probably lost six pounds of water. I had to pull over on the side of the road. I'd, I'd get my composure for a second. And I'm doing this, you know, and I, okay, I'm good to go. Here I go again. 
Now listen, I, 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 I wasn't proud of that moment, in the moment. I'm proud of it now because it was the Holy Spirit of God just jumped into Vic, a little samurai. He wasn't ashamed of me in that samurai. He got in there with me. And then I remember one long after that, we were in Chattanooga, and I hadn't cried a lot since then. And, and we were at a funeral, and a friend of mine got hit by a car, and it killed him by somebody who was under the influence. And we're singing in the choir, and Eddie's out there in the box. And we're just singing, oh, we're singing. And right in the middle of it, I thought, man, I loved Eddie. He was a good dude. He's gone on to heaven. Just like that. Woo, here it came again. The same Jesus that showed up in the samurai. Now he's in the choir loft. And my buddies were next to me saying, are you okay? Yeah, I think I am. I don't know. I don't know. Shut up. Okay. I didn't know. Okay. Now, that's what he's doing. He's weeping bitterly, uncontrollably. He is broken with remorse that, that all of the greatness of, of everything that God will do to right all the wrongs caused by the enemy now won't be unfurled because there's none worthy to take the scroll from his hand. And, and he's just weeping. So we have a seed, a scroll, and a seal. We have a search. We have sadness. But I want to show you the fourth thing is we find a satisfier to the search. It says in verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Look. Now, let me pause right there. I don't know the I don't know the inflection or the context of how he said stop weeping, but to, it, it, to me it's almost like he says, John, get your composure, dude. Look. Okay, stop this. Look. And that's what he tells him. You stop your crying and look, the game is not over yet. So he says, and he looked, and the lion, he said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. Thus, he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, then I saw standing in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders, a lamb that appeared to have been killed. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So here's John, the revelator, the one who had a special relationship with Jesus. You remember that? He's the one who you would find leaning on Jesus. He's the one that wrote the gospel of John, the love gospel. He's the one that understood Jesus was God. He's the understood that Jesus was the creator of all. He's the one that understood Jesus is the sustainer of all. He's the one that understood that Jesus is the word of God, his word made flesh. He got it. He's the one that Jesus said, this is my beloved disciple. This is the one that Jesus said he loved more than the rest. This is the one that wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This is the one now that gets to go to heaven and see the end. And in the middle of his weeping, the, uh, the one of the elder says don't stop he says stop your weeping and look there he is and he looks and there is one standing who looks like a lamb who has been slain let me tell you about a slain lamb they're not standing because they're dead but this lamb having been slain is no longer dead he's standing he's alive and he's been there all the time, you have God the Father seated on the throne. You have the Holy Spirit of God as seven flames burning in front of the throne. And now you have Jesus the Son, the Trinity, right there together in the splendor of heaven. And John sees him, and he says, he can open this thing up. And I'm thinking about this, okay? 
And I'm thinking, John, man, he thought the whole time he wrote the gospel, he's, he's thinking the whole time he's writing, writing 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, when he described the Jesus that he saw in, chapters, in chapter 1, he's thinking, man, he's victorious, and now all of a sudden he seems disappointed. And all of a sudden Jesus steps up and he goes, I got this. And I, I'm just me. I'm thinking, John's thinking, yeah, that's it. Now listen to me. Listen to me. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Jesus is way too small in your world. Jesus is the resurrected, glorified king of the universe, not just on his throne. Right here, and when he comes into your life, Christian, listen to me. When he comes into your life, he does not come to sit on the second throne of your life. He comes in when he saves you, when he rescues you from you in all of your wretched sinfulness. He does not come in to grab up the second fiddle. He comes in to be the king of your universe right where you are. And I just want to invite you, evaluate yourself, ask yourself a question, and let the Holy Spirit answer it. Who sits on the throne of your world? Who sits on the throne of your soul? Who sits on the throne of your life? Who makes all the decisions? Who tells you where to go? Who decides what tomorrow holds? Is it God? Is it the resurrected Jesus? Or is it you or somebody else? And I believe John, man, with just enthusiasm, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Have you ever been in that place where you just, you know, you knew it was real? You knew Jesus was like, there you knew it was gonna he's gonna take care of everything but you find yourself in this spot where you're just like i just don't know i just don't know listen to me maybe you're here today and you're in that spot that you've placed your faith in jesus but things just seem to be a little defeated in your world you're broken you're hurting you're confused i want you to hear from the word of god jesus is still on the throne and you just Keep placing your faith in him. And you may cry some tears. You may weep bitterly. You can get angry with God. You can throw questions at him. He's big enough for those questions. But in the end, I want you to know, he will reveal the greatness of who he is in your world and in your situation. And you can do just like John. Yes, I knew it. Okay? I, I look forward one day to go to heaven and get to see the resurrected Jesus. I'm telling you, I do. Okay, because I, I, that, that, that's that in me. That's what I feel. Yeah. When I go to heaven, I mean, I know we're going to worship him. I'll be on my face. Yeah. You know, because I have, I've, so, I've sold out for Jesus. I mean, I've given him everything I have. I try to. I try to, and, and sometimes it costs me, okay? And sometimes I hurt, and sometimes things will, will break me down. Some th things get to me because we live in this old broken world, and I live in it, and you live in it. We're redeemed. We're saved. We're saints of God. And we live in this broken world, but there's a day coming, man, when all this is going to be behind us. And we, yes, because Jesus will be revealed in the light of who he is today and forevermore. So, so the elder says he's the Lion of Judah. That's an Old Testament reference to Jesus in Genesis 49. He says he's the Root of David, which is a reference to Jesus in Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. And in case you're wondering if this is really Jesus, in Revelation 22:16, 16, Jesus says, I have sent mine angels 
to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Jesus is the one that we're talking about, the one at the throne who's worthy of taking the scroll. Jesus says, that would be me. You see these now scarred hands? That identifies who I am. I'm the one found worthy, and I can open this scroll. So I, I got to thinking about it, and I said, who, you know, what could we talk about? Because he says, you know, he has, he has these uh, horns, and horns represent power or authority. And he has these eyes, and, and, and his eyes represent his omniscience, his, his knowing all things. And, and I was thinking about it, how can I help me be reminded of who Jesus is today? Because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, we see that, Okay. But who is he? Did you know there's over, over 50 different titles or adjectives used for Jesus in the New Testament and in the Old Testament? Over 50. I want to share about 50. I want you to listen to this. I want it to stir your soul of who Jesus is now. He may not be this in your life, but this is who he is. I want you to know that no matter what worship you ascribe to him, I want you to know that no matter how much authority you allow him to have in your life, it does not change the reality of who he is. Your view of him does not change the reality of who he is. Your thoughts about him, the world you live in, does not even affect the reality of who he is. So I want you to be reminded of who he is. So I did a little work. Revelation 1, he is the Almighty One. Revelation 22, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. 1 John 2, Jesus is the advocate. Hebrews 12, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. John 6, Jesus is the bread of life. Matthew 3, Jesus is the beloved son of God. Matthew 9, Jesus is the bridegroom. Psalm 118, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. 1 Thessalonians 1, Jesus is the great deliverer. Isaiah 9, Jesus is the everlasting father revelation 19 jesus is the faithful and true one john 10 jesus is the good shepherd hebrews 4 jesus is the great high priest ephesians 2 jesus is the head of the church acts 4 jesus is the holy servant john 8 jesus is the i am Isaiah 7, Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. 2 Corinthians 9, Jesus is the indescribable gift. Acts 10, Jesus is the judge. Revelation 17, Jesus is the king of kings. Uh, John 1, Jesus is the lamb of God. John 8, Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, Revelation 5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Philippians 2, Jesus is the Lord of all. 1 Timothy 2, Jesus is the mediator. John 1, Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah. Isaiah 9, Jesus is the mighty God. Isaiah 60, Jesus is the mighty one. John 8, Jesus is the one who sets you free. 1 Timothy 1, Jesus is the hope. Ephesians 2, Jesus is the peace. Isaiah 9, Jesus is the prince of peace. Mark 6, Jesus is the prophet. Job 19, Jesus is the redeemer. 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is the resurrected Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, Jesus is the rock. 1 John 4, Jesus is the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Luke 2, Jesus is 
is the Savior of the world. Luke 19, Jesus is the Son of Man. Luke 1, Jesus is the Son of the Most High. 1 Corinthians 1, Jesus is the sustainer and creator of the world. John 11, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. John 10, Jesus is the door. John 14, Jesus is the way. John 1, Jesus is the Word made flesh. John 15, Jesus is the true vine. John 8, Jesus is the truth. Revelation 3, Jesus is the victorious one. And Isaiah 9, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And that is who he is. And it's time you and I made him all of that in our world. Amen. 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 But what we choose to do, that's all great and everything, but I got this. And we start looking like those churches that he just described in Revelation 2 and 3. We have the appearance of being alive, but we're dead. We're lukewarm, and we make him want to puke. That's Laodicea. We compromise. We, we look like that. And all the while, God is saying, there's a day coming when I'm going to say to you, come up here. And for those of you that are my children, you'll come up here. And you're going to see for real who I am. So, there's a, there's a throne, there's a seat, a scroll, and a seal. There's a search, a sadness, a satisfier. And I want you to know, when you understand who Jesus is, when you understand that everything's going to work out in the end, you can trust him because he is found trustworthy. There's something else. How do we respond to that? Well, Joe will like this. The worship team will like this. It's a song. It says in verse 9, it says, They were singing now a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. You see everybody in heaven, the four living creatures, the 24 elders representing the saints of God, the angels in heaven, they're watching too. They're watching John cry. All of a sudden, Jesus says, I got this. And they break out in a song and they say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed and at the cost of your own blood you have purchased for God. Persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Verse 10, you have appointed them as kingdom, as a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth. So they start singing this, they have a worship service and they sing a song. And I know sometimes you say, man, is this singing? That's, this is way too much singing. Sometimes you think, man, this is way too much preaching. That's all right. We're going to have a good time with or without you. But here's what happens. In heaven, they don't stop with one song. That's not enough. We're not finished. Now we see song two in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels in a circle around the throne, <clears throat> as well as the living creatures and the elders. And their number was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands times thousands, all of whom were singing in a loud voice. Now let me pause right there. Do y'all know these songs loud? You know what I'm talking about? We used to say, do y'all know that song loud? They're singing loud. They're not singing like... Now, I know on a day like this, when the sound system's liable to shut down on you, a couple of weeks ago it shut down. I was standing right there and I was singing loud as I could, you know. I mean, I was blowing it out and the whole system went out. And there I was singing a solo, okay. Got to hate when that happens. But you know what? You might have been standing around me and you might have thought, Joel, your singing is terrible. <laughs> That's fine. I wasn't singing to you. Amen. I wasn't worshiping you. I don't care if you like it or not. 
I was worshiping him, and he loved it. He absolutely adored it. As pitiful as it might have been here, by the time it made it into the ears of heaven, it was a joyful noise coming from the heart of somebody who knew that Jesus has rescued me and placed me on a path to be with him forever. And so it doesn't matter what you think. And you need to get over your singing too. And if you're worried about the person in front of you judging you and listening a little too hard, I got about 18 empty seats right here in the front. You can come right here and sing. Nobody can hear you but the band. And they got in-ear monitors. All they're hearing is them. Okay? So then it becomes between you and Jesus. All right? And I just want to challenge you all. Some of y'all need to learn a new song. And you need to learn how to sing it loud. And stop worrying about what people think. You just need to let it go. Because there's a God in heaven whose name is Jesus. And he deserves every bit of your song. He deserves that song that he placed in your heart. He deserves it to come out and just explode forth toward heaven. And stop worrying what the people around you think. So they sang this thing loud. This is what they sang. Worthy is the lamb who was killed to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. Amen. They didn't stop singing right there. Worship service ain't over. Song number three begins in 13. Now he says... I heard every creature. So let me just pause right here. Maybe you're not a singer. Well, Brother Joel, I I don't have a singing voice. So what? You got a heart that's been rescued, don't you? Words should come out. Well, I don't know those words. Well, you blind and can't read because we put them on the wall. Okay? You need to learn how to sing to God because he deserves your song. And, And it says here, every creature. Why? You are going to sing forever. You're going to worship him forever. I say we just start practicing now. That way we're not so, you know, we get to heaven. Now, trust me, when we get to heaven, if I see you standing there like this, I'm going to punch you in the throat in Jesus' name, okay? If you like this, we're here to worship. Well, if you're doing this, you ain't there, first of all. If you're doing this, you are not in heaven. You are on your face in worship. So I say we just worship him now while we can do it in the flesh. Let's celebrate him now. Here's what they're saying now. Every creature, every creature, the ones in heaven, that makes sense. That's good. The ones on earth, okay. There's some saved during the tribulation. Okay, that makes sense. The ones under the earth, the ones under the earth, the ones who are dead, that did not get resurrected in the first resurrection when he said, Harpazo, come on up here. Now he says this, he says, the ones in the sea and all that is in them, they all sing it. They're singing this to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and ruling power forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders now, they just threw themselves to the ground and they worshiped. The word worship means to ascribe worthship. It means to proclaim the worthiness of the one we worship. And if you can't worship, you don't have a proper opinion of the one that we worship because he is worthy of our 
worship, okay? And I want to encourage you to learn that. Your takeaway for today is to begin to wrap your arms around the worthiness of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Just, I mean, just remind yourself, man, this, this day I've had was launched from the pit of hell. But I got a Jesus. He's on his throne. Ha, I'm still going to worship him. This suffering I'm going through, this heartache I'm going through, man, I don't like it one little bit. But hmm, I have a Jesus who's on his throne, and he's going to make it all right in the end. All right? No matter what happens, you can place everything you have in all that he is, and he will take care of it in the end. Okay? Now, now how do we finish this? How do we land this plane? Okay? We're going to have first fruits offering. Is what we're going to do. Because one of the ways that we worship him, we sometimes we think worship is a song, and it is. But I want you to know scripturally, worship is praying. Worship is meditating. Worship is Bible study. Worship is fasting. Uh, worship is giving. Worship is serving. And certainly worship is singing. And so giving is an act of worship. And I believe he deserves our best. And so we're going to, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward. And maybe you're here while they come forward. Maybe you're here today. And the reason you can't find within you a reason to worship Jesus for the greatness of who he is. Maybe the reason, listen to me, church. Maybe the reason that you can't worship him is because he does not indwell you. You're an outsider looking in maybe looking in from a close view maybe from a distance but you're an outsider and he's standing at your door gently knocking on that door that he will not force open and he's asking you would you open the door and let me come into your life because if you do I'll take all of your baggage Take all of your sinfulness, all of your rebellion, and I will wash it in the blood of Jesus, my son, and his sacrifice. And you will emerge in my eyes a saint, wrapped in the rightness, in the righteousness of Jesus, my son. And if that's you today, I would encourage you, to ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life. It means you posture yourself humbly before God and say, God, I know. I've been playing games at this for years. I'm lost. I'm an outsider looking in. I don't want to be that anymore. I admit who I am, a sinner who needs to be saved. And I want Jesus now to come into my life. I want his gift of grace to come in and flood my soul and make me a brand new creature. I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I am receiving your gift as a free grace gift today. Thank you for being willing to love somebody like me enough to die in my place. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me on this day. Fill me and seal me with your spirit of promise and help me live forever for you so that one glorious day when you come for your church, 
I won't be left here watching the church go away. In Jesus' name, amen.